I want to uh, invite you to play a game with me, but it's a game that requires participation. So um, everybody close your eyes. Everybody close your eyes. Seriously, I'm not joking. You're like, he's going to do something Pentecostal. I know it. <laughs> okay, your eyes are closed. So um, I have something in my hand. I want you to guess what it is. Okay, your eyes are closed. Nobody's looking. All right, I want you to guess what it is. I'm going to tell you a little bit about it. Okay, it's red. Okay, it's red. Um, school children take them with them to school, and they uh, smell like life itself. Any guesses what I'm holding in my hand? Open your eyes. Good job. I'm holding an apple in my hand. Okay, close your eyes. No cheating. All right. Holding something in my hand. It's red. School children take it to school with them, and it smells like life itself. What am I holding in my hand? Oh, somebody said it. Open your eyes. Only an adult would say Twizzlers don't smell like life itself. Nikki's clearly forgotten her childhood. Twizzlers are awesome. Okay, close your eyes. Last time. I'm holding something in my hand that's red. Children take it to school with them, hopefully, because it makes them smell like life itself. What am I holding in my hand? Open your eyes. Remember that phase where your kids don't want to wear deodorant and they're stinky <laughs> and it just doesn't compute and you're like, why do I have to wear it? Because you're stinky. I don't think they even really know what stinky is yet, you know, like at even 11, 12 years of age, like they just don't get it. An apple is red and kids take it to school. It smells like life itself. Twizzlers are red and kids take it to school and it smells like life itself. And thank God for Old Spice. <laughs> Okay, close your eyes. Last time. What does redemption look like? Okay, picture it in your mind. What does redemption look like? Okay, open your eyes. Redemption. Serving to offset or compensate for a defect. What's our defect? Sin is our defect. What is sin? The New Testament word for sin is hamartion. Hamartion means missing. Not like I miss eating Twizzlers. I don't eat them anymore. But missing the mark. Hamartion. That's our defect. Hamartion, sin, missing the mark. Put simply, we're all spiritually cross-eyed. Did you see that video was circulating on social this week of the little baby boy who gets his glasses for the first time? It's been out there for a while. Sweet little baby, they put these blue glasses on him and he sees his mom for the first time. We're all spiritually cross-eyed. We need offset. We need compensation. We need redemption. My goal this week <coughs> is to help you spot it 
as we work our way through Genesis 45. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it. And the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest, and God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord over all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children, and your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. There I will provide for you, for there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt, and of all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. After that, his brothers talked with him. When the report was heard in Pharaoh's house, Joseph's brothers have come. It pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, do this, load your beasts and go back to the land of Canaan, and take your father and your households and come to me, and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you shall eat the fat of the land. <clears throat> and you, Joseph, are commanded to say, Do this, take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives, and bring your father and come. Have no concern for your goods, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. The sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh, and gave them provisions for the journey. To each and all of them he gave a change of clothes. But to Benjamin he gave 300 shekels of silver and five changes of clothes. To his father he gave, <clears throat> to his father he sent as follows, ten donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt and ten female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and provision for his father on the journey. Then he sent his brothers away, and as they departed, he said to them, do not quarrel on the way. <laughs> They're still buttheads. So they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob, and they told him, Joseph is still alive, and he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. And his heart became numb, for he did not believe them. But when they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the, father of their, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, It is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him <clears throat> before I die. What fun. Genesis chapter 45. Finally, Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. Keystone habit number nine. Here we go. Here's what I hope for you to take out of this chapter today. You'll see the definition for keystone habits on screen. Keystone habit number nine. Prepare for redemption. One day, accounts will be settled. 
So um, <clears throat> I want to just say that you can prepare for redemption by knowing what it looks like. In the same way that you know intuitively what an apple looks like, I just described it to you and you knew. Some of you knew intuitively what Twizzlers look like. Of course, we all know what Old Spice looks like. You know intuitively what an apple looks like. It stands to reason that if you knew what redemption looked like intuitively, you would be more equipped to spot it when it showed up. I believe that redemption is at work all around us. Most of the time we just miss it. So I want to uh, offer you 15 pictures of redemption from Genesis 45. Picture number one, uh, redemption might look like your breaking point. Then Joseph could not control himself, verse one. It's been fun, right, the story so far? As he's been toying with his brothers, he knows it's them, they don't know it's him. We're talking about this is my family this week, like, how is that? Kind of like, how would they not have recognized him? We're chatting about it with Jeff and Kath. Like, how different must he have looked? Very different. He looked very Egyptian. You know, shaved, no hair, Egyptian hairstyle, rich robes. He's also an indoor guy, right? He's been lord over all Egypt, second only to Pharaoh, so he's an indoor guy. His brothers are older than him. They're outdoor guys. They're shepherds. Poverty-stricken. Long beards. They look completely different. How didn't they recognize him? He knows it's them. They don't know it's him. He's known, in fact, since Genesis chapter 42. And we find out in 45 that two years of the famine have elapsed. So we don't know how early in the famine his brothers first went down to Egypt. But it's been two years so far in this story. Two years have elapsed. So he's known that they're his brothers for some time, and he's been testing the waters with them. And finally here, in chapter 45, he can't stand it any longer. Sends all his servants away. Leave, leave, leave me alone. And then he breaks down. It's a breaking point for Joseph. In fact, he weeps and wails so loudly that the whole household of Pharaoh can hear it. He's still a little bit Israeli. He's still a little bit over the top when it comes to his emotions. This is a breaking point for Joseph. Redemption might look like a breaking point. I want to invite you to begin paying more attention to your breaking points. Sometimes I think we miss redemption because we're toughing it out. We're determined to make our own way. We're determined to solve the problem ourselves. This is a particular difficulty in our culture. Culture of doers, a culture of workers, a culture of immigrants. Descended of immigrants who moved here from the old world to begin a new life. And literally had to scratch the life that we now live from the hills and rocks and trees and rivers of this great land. So our bias is towards activity, and therefore I think we sometimes want to save ourselves, and we miss redemption as a result. Sometimes it's good to just cry uncle. Sometimes it's good to cry. Point number two, redemption might involve deep, cathartic emotion. Verse 2, Joseph cries so loud that the entire palace can hear it. Let it out. Are you holding something inside? Let it out. 
reunion with his family for Joseph is the apex of his soul's longing. This is like the thing for him. This is what his life is all about. Reunion with his family. This is what he would have been living for. You can bet that he was acutely aware of his need. You can bet that he spent much of his life in the 20 years that he was a slave and then rising in power in Egypt. You can bet he spent much of that time just trying to reconcile himself to the pain of his past. Eventually getting to the point where he forgot all his father's house and his sorrow. But you can bet the moment his brother showed up, all of that pain was brought back to the surface and all of that longing came right back to the surface. You know this. If you've dealt with something difficult in your past and you thought you're okay, then you move past it and then you encounter something that reminds you and all of a sudden you're right back at the same moment. It's okay to let it out. Many educated, affluent Westerners like us are emotionally shut down because we have been raised to believe that need equals weakness and only the strong survive. I just want to say that that attitude is a Western, materialist, secular point of view. Okay? This is why so many worship services are dead. I thank God when... For us, a worship service comes off the ground. It takes off like a plane and begins to soar. But like me, you may have spent time in worship services that were anything but. Just dead. So many people's spiritual lives are really, at the end of the day, just whitewashed sepulchers full of dead men's bones, in the words of Matthew 23, 27. This is basically why faith seems so unattractive and ineffective to most people. Let me remind you this morning that the spiritual effervescence that works its way actually out of your life into the world around you is kind of the only Jesus the people around you will ever see until they taste and see that the Lord is good for themselves. So if people think Christianity is boring and useless we must, to some degree, lay the blame on ourselves. and say It's because we are projecting a Christianity that seems useless and ineffective. I don't know if you've ever been around an incandescent Christian, but there is almost nothing quite as attractive as an incandescent Christian. Even if your friends think you're totally weird, secretly, at home, at night, they wish they were you. And if they don't, there's room for you to get more in touch with your God-given feelings as you respond to Him in love. (laughs) Let it not be said of us that our investment portfolio is full, but our soul is empty. Those who find the way, the truth, and the life, quoting John 14, 6, are those who seek it, quoting Matthew 7, 7. Those who seek, find. To seek means to work your buns off to find the thing you're looking for. What, half the people you know don't even know what they're missing. Which is why they're so busy filling their lives with whatever comes to hand. Hey, maybe an S7 will fill the void. And I love cars, guilty as charged. But thank God I've finally learned that no matter how snazzy my wheels are, 
Nothing beats my Jesus. Those who seek, find. If you want to prepare for redemption, get in touch with, begin expressing your need of God. A very good place to start is uh, by being shocked at the darkness of your own story. That's point number three. That's what happens in verses three and four. Joseph introduces himself. He says, it's me. I'm Joseph. His dad's still alive. But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So he calls them to him. He says, I'm your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed with yourselves because you sold me here. Don't miss that his brothers are speechless. They're dismayed. Their response is not one of joy. I think we can make that useful in our own lives. To look upon the depravity of the sons of Israel and use it as a reflector to illuminate the depravity in our own hearts. Last time I checked, I'm much more like Reuben than Joseph. Speechless and dismayed. The other thing we can do is pull no punches when it comes to our dark history. Don't you love that Joseph pulls no punches? I'm Joseph, the one you sold into slavery. Many of us suffer from a lack of spiritual health because we won't acknowledge the pain of our past. Sweep it under the rug. I don't want to deal with it. Go home and vacuum under your rug today and let this point resonate in your heart. You may not see it, but it's dirty. Okay? Acknowledge your own depravity. Pull no punches when it comes to the darkness of your history. Okay, it's not very fashionable to uh, think about your depravity. Every time I say fashionable, I think of Frank, right? This cog is very popular with many of the fashionable wadis. <laughs> it's not very fashionable to reflect on your own depravity. And half the time when preachers preach about depravity, it seems like they're angry. I'm not angry. I'm not going to be angry at anybody. I'll be angry at myself. But I thank God that so far it's been a fairly friendly and easygoing sermon. <laughs> Judge not, lest you be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. I mean, isn't Jesus the best? We need to develop and maintain the habit of deeply reflecting on, powerfully acting in accordance with our own very real depravity, and need of mercy. Never forgetting that, point number four, God is involved. (laughs) Somebody ought to say something to that. God is involved. Look at verse five. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. God did this. To think that God could use our broken impulses to make something beautiful is basically the only reason I'm still a Christian. Truth telling. 
I see God's unexpected, redemptive goodness at work in and through our brokenness all the time, all around me. I hope you do too. I'm trying to help you remember to spot that this week. God making something beautiful from something ugly. Have you ever experienced it? Maybe you just forgot that you did. Why does God do this? Turn broken things into beautiful. Because, point number five, He is the preservative and the deliverer. Point number six, He is the final authority who loves turning things on their head. These two points are beautifully illustrated in verses 7 through 8. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. But God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord over all his house and ruler over the land of Egypt. You know what it says in the original language? To preserve for you a remnant and to keep alive for you a very great deliverance. I want to introduce you this morning to MSG UPS Jesus. The preserver, the deliverer. MSG UPS Jesus. You'll remember it though. Yes, someone will remember it this week. The preserver, the deliverer. Is Jesus really your MSG UPS or are you consistently looking to something or someone else to preserve and deliver you? I know it's true. I'm preaching friendly this morning. But I know it's true. Yeah, this whole Jesus thing isn't working. You know what I say to somebody when they say that to me? Like a so-called Christian who's like, this whole Jesus thing, it's just not working. I think I'll try something else. I always say, are you using him? Are you? I know a lot of Christians. A lot of them are not using him for all he's worth. The preserver. The deliverer. It's like you jumped in the ocean without your life preserver and you wonder why you can't swim. This, this life jacket is useless. Because you're not wearing it. Righteousness is something you are clothed with. The armor of God is something you put on. Maybe it's in your spiritual closet. I mean, I want to be, uh, you know, I want to be like Jesus. I want to turn to Jesus, but. How many times have you heard that? But, look, usually our butts, when it comes to fully embracing Jesus, are connected to all the things in our life we don't want to walk away from. If I had $10 for the times I've spoken to young singles, in the churches I've pastored, who want to come to Jesus but don't want to stop sleeping with their boyfriend or girlfriend, I would have a lot of money in my bank account. And I shudder to think of the number of times I have seen young Christians walk away from a new life in Christ because they will not lay down their sexual promiscuity. What, you mean i got to stop sleeping around? <laughs> That's just one example. Let's jump up 20 years. If I had $100, I'm closing my eyes so you don't think I'm preaching at you. If I had $100 
for the number of times I have sat with an affluent business person who will not lay their affluence on the altar. And they will not walk away from it in response to what Jesus is calling them to do. I would be a wealthy man. Yeah, but. We're like the rich young ruler from Matthew 19. We want eternal life and an easy life. You want to prepare for redemption? Stop it with all your butts. Stop it. And instead, point number seven and eight, move your butts because you got a new home waiting for you. This is good. Verse nine, hurry up and go to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen. Hurry up and go. That's good. You're welcome. You want to spot redemption? Hurry up and go, and you shall dwell in the land of Goshen. Leave your home and come home. That is a gospel concept. Go to the land that I will show you. Build an ark, even though it's never rained. Cross the Jordan, even though it's in flood. Slay the giant, even though you're just a boy. Just believe, even though your daughter is dead. Come follow me, even though it will cost you everything. Lose your life to find it. The last shall be first, the first shall be last, and in my father's house are many mansions. Whoever heard about a mansion with mansions inside it? John 14, 2. Here's your zinger. Leave what you know and come home to where you're known. Somebody shout. Leave what you know and come home to where you're known. Point nine, to where forgiveness and love reign. Point ten, to where the best of everything will be yours. Point eleven, to where you will be given some new clothes and some treasures to throw at Jesus' feet. Verse 14 and 15. Again, my eyes are closed. For all you non-emotive types, can I please point out all the hugging and kissing and weeping that's going on here. <laughs> Falling on each other's necks, snotting and crying and hugging and kissing and weeping. It's time for us to get a little more Israeli. It's time for us to start living like all our dreams have come true. Somebody help me in this house. This scene here in verses 14 and 15 kind of reminds me of the scene in Luke 7 with the sinful woman breaking the alabaster flask of perfume, pouring it on Jesus' feet, washing them with her tears, wiping them with her hair, carrying on to the point that his educated, sophisticated followers from Jerusalem said, does he not know which kind of woman this is who is touching him? Her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she has loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. Luke 7, 47. Come home to forgiveness and love, please. Come home to forgiveness and love. Come home to the best of everything. Verse 18, the best of the land shall be yours, and you shall eat of the fat of the land. You know what's best? I'll tell you what's best. Rest is best. Yes, it is. Come unto me, all ye who are weary 
and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know what? Sign me up. And while you're at it, dress me up. Don't you want some new clothes? Verse 22, he gives each of them a new outfit. And to Benjamin, he gives five new outfits and 300 shekels of silver. Where have I heard that concept before? The concept of new clothing and treasure. I'll tell you where I've heard it before. I've heard about that in Revelation 19. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him glory for the marriage supper of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, pure and bright. Thank you, Brian. I heard that amen in this house. You you got a new wardrobe waiting for you in glory. And last time I checked, God's saints have some crowns on their heads. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who's seated on the throne who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. All dressed up with a crown on your heads to throw at Jesus' feet. That's your destiny. If that doesn't make you begin to fuss, I got nothing else. I got nothing else. If what Jesus did for you isn't good enough to turn you a little more Israeli in your response to redemption, I don't know what else to say. If the thought that God the Son made flesh entered into space-time history to go to a cross where he would suffer and die in your place for your sins and then rise again the third day for your salvation isn't enough to absolutely light you up from inside and change everything about your approach to life, then I don't know what else to do. Because there's only one gospel and there's only one Jesus and there's only this simple but powerful truth. He has not only called you home, but he has made a way. So act like it. Verse 12. Worship team, you can join me on stage because I'm done. Don't you love in verse 24 that he sends his brothers home and says, by the way, don't fight. (laughs) They're still human, just like you and me. Okay, here's the point. Receive it. Since you've been saved, start acting like it. Right? I often deal with Christians whose knickers are in a knot because they think I don't like holiness. I love holiness. I just think that holiness comes to life in your heart as you respond in love to he who first loved you. Holiness is not the starting point. It's not. You respond by faith. In love to Jesus. You begin walking with him by the power of his spirit. He begins conforming you to his image and likeness. And you grow up into perfection as you age. And one day you stand in your presence. And you look at him. And he looks at you. And you look like him. And he says, welcome home. I've been looking forward to seeing you. Enter into your rest. 
Since you've been saved, start acting like it. And look, point 13. If you have doubts or you're feeling numb to all this, like Jacob was feeling in verse 26, then point 14, lean on the spirit of the risen Christ who brings revival. Verse 27, but when they told Jacob all the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had set to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. So they come home. They tell him Joseph is alive. And literally in the Hebrew, it says his heart was touched or struck. So when you read it in the Hebrew, it's almost like he had a heart attack. Like I didn't want to be hyperbolic, but when I plainly read it in the Hebrew, it looks like he's having a heart attack. You could understand He's almost 130 years old at this point. Very, very old. His heart was touched. It fainted. But when he saw the wagons that his son had sent for him, his spirit lived. That's what it says in the Hebrew. Literally, it's like he had a heart attack, and then his spirit lived. Church, you may feel faint, but you will live. Because, point number 15, Jesus has deployed resurrection power in your life, and he is more than enough to satisfy the desires of your heart. Verse 28, it is enough. Somebody say hallelujah. It is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I, will go, I got the Holy Spirit. I will go and see him before I die. You don't even know what it says in the Hebrew yet because I haven't told you. You know what is, it is enough means in Hebrew? Rav od. Rav od. Rav means lots. Od means again. Interpreted properly, he's saying, it's too much. This is too much. It's too good to be true. No, it's not. Last time I checked, too good to be true is exactly what redemption looks like. 